WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Well, the general election is set in North Carolina, the Senate race. It's going to be Democrat Sherry Beasley is going to face off against Republican Ted Budd. Budd decidedly beating Pat McCrory and Mark Walker wasn't even close. This race is going to be one of the most watched, most expensive races come November. One of the biggest storylines from the primary, Madison Cawthorn losing his bid for re-election. The embattled congressman faced backlash from members of his own party over several controversies, including sexual assault allegations, pictures of him in lingerie, bringing guns to airports, and claiming that some GOP members invited him to sex parties. The winner of the 11th district primary, the man you see right there, Chuck Edwards, saying Cawthorn offered his support. Joining us now, Catawba College political science professor, Dr. Michael Bitzer, frequent friend of the show. Doctor, thanks for coming on, we appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, sum up this uh, past Tuesday's primary in a single headline for me. Uh, played out as expected. I think, you know, on both the Republican and Democratic side at the big level, the U.S. Senate race, it was very much the Bud Beasley matchup uh, for November that everybody expected. I think the margin between Ted Bud and Pat McCrory was a surprise. And certainly the intensity of the North Carolina 11th Congressional District with Madison Cawthorn losing his reelection bid and renomination bid. You know, that that was something that I think a lot of us were expecting, but just were not sure it would happen. Uh, let's take those one by one uh, for one, the Senate race. You had Pat McCrory, uh, probably not probably the most well-known Republican in the state of North mm -hmm. Carolina, name recognition up at 100 um, percent, ran two other uh, statewide races, uh, was in the lead at the beginning of this race, we should say. Um, and, and then what happened? The party has fundamentally shifted underneath McCrory's feet, I think. You know, when you look at both Ted Budd and Mark Walker combine their percentages, you're talking about two-thirds of the North Carolina Republican primary electorate basically being Trumpian in terms of their support of candidates who are most closely aligned with the former president. Pat McCrory has for years emphasized that he is a Reagan Republican. He even went as far as saying, I'm an Eisenhower Republican. That is a different strain from a Trump Republican. And right now at two thirds, Trump Republicanism is the dominant feature in North Carolina Republican Party politics. The Reagan style approach is a distinct minority. Uh, and what happens to Pat McCrory from here? That's a great question. And I think, it, you know, for a lot of candidates and a lot of Republican voters that fit that mold of a Pat McCrory style kind of Republican, they, they don't feel like they're necessarily in their own home, but where else do they go? So I think partly party loyalty will continue to play a role. But the key question in my mind is how energized, how mobilized, how enthusiastic will they be come November's general election? Uh, let's go to the 11th congressional uh, race, uh, where evidently it was not enough to be Trumpian. It, it wasn't, but you have to take in the multitude of other factors that basically doomed Madison Cawthorn. And we have to note, 
it was a close election. The deciding factor was the fact that 42% of all the early votes came from unaffiliated voters. And Chuck Edwards dominated in early voting, built his lead up to where Madison Cawthorn won on election day, but just didn't have enough to overcome that substantial uh, advantage. I think the hubris, I think the political adolescency of Madison Cawthorn really caught up to him. You know, when you decide you're going to announce, I'm gonna flip to another district, but then run back home when the map doesn't favor you, that started the downhill slide. The onslaught of negative news only compounded it, but it was a close election. We have to admit that there was enough substantial vote in that district on election day to potentially have put Madison Cawthorn ahead for renomination. You're, you're referring to the fact that as the redistricting process was working out, he switched districts. Um, and for, for voters back home, they, they want to know that you're fighting for them. And if you can so, so quickly switch allegiance to some other geographic area because it's you know, politically expedient to you, um, there, there's an authenticity factor that doesn't quite ring true there. Um, it strikes me another big winner, uh, perhaps the biggest winner, um, from the race this past Tuesday is outside money. Oh, most definitely. I think this continues the trend of nationalization of local politics, state politics. You know, the Club for Growth alone, the multi-million dollars dumped on Pat McCrory certainly did not help in that contest for the former Charlotte mayor and former North Carolina governor. But this fall, that's just going to look like a drop in the bucket, I think, compared to what we will see descend on North Carolina in terms of outside money. This U.S. Senate race is an open seat that is the most competitive. We're a competitive state, but lean to the right slightly. It's going to be an advantage Republican environment to begin with, but both parties are going to see this as a valuable seat to try and either retain for the Republicans and build their majority or swipe away for the Democrats to try and hold on to some majority in the U.S. Senate. So size up this matchup, uh, Bud versus Beasley going into the, the, the next few months. Uh, who do you give the advantage to? It has to be advantage Republican at this point in time, just because of the basic midterm fundamentals. The president's party always loses seats, typically in midterm elections. Joe Biden's approval rating is low. Economic issues, particularly inflation, is at the forefront. But there are a host of other issues, abortion, January 6th committee hearings, unknowns that are going to have an impact potentially. But this year's election is a base year election. Republicans generally have higher turnout rates than Democrats. Unaffiliated, the biggest group in North Carolina registered voter pool, will have the typically the lowest turnout rate. So this will be a battle for Republicans and Democrats to get their voters out to the polls come November. And, and remind us, because we talked to you about redistricting so many times, as far as the House members go, we're going to see this set of House members go in, but they're not going to be there for long. No matter who wins in November, more than likely the districts are going to change all again next year. 
thanks to the Supreme Court, state Supreme Court and a court ruling, we will have a redrawing of the districts at the congressional level yet again next year. The battle for the state Supreme Court will be at the top of the ballot for Republicans to control. This all will, will play out for a year and then we may have a whole new set of dynamics come for 2023 and 2024. Wow. It's, uh, it's almost head spinning uh, for, for folks like you who study this uh, on a daily and a yearly basis. Um, all right, uh, Professor of Politics, Michael Bitzer from Catawba College. Professor, thanks as always, we appreciate it. My pleasure. By the way, before November's general election, people here in Charlotte will head back to the polls to vote in the mayoral and city council race. That's going to be July 26th. So we've got the city elections to July 26th and then the federal state races come November. It's a bit confusing. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This week, local health care provider StarMed stepped up big time to help parents amid this nationwide baby formula shortage. StarMed handed out its supply of formula to, for free at two different locations. The provider said it had around 1,100 babies that were given about a week's supply. That's a lot. And get this, the team even making a home delivery, they posted this on social media. They said a man brought his baby to get formula, but found out that all they had left was soy, which he had to leave because his son couldn't use it because of dietary reasons. However, a StarMed staff member followed up, told him another shipment was coming later that day. They exchanged numbers. And once it came in, the StarMed employee actually drove the formula to the man's house because the man was low on gas, couldn't get there. All done by a StarMed employee. Wow. Joining us now, Michael Estramonte, the CEO of StarMed. Thanks for coming on, Michael. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, you know, there are a lot of clinics out there. There are a lot of healthcare organizations out there. But uh, StarMed has managed to, to really strike a chord in this community over the last couple of years, thanks in large part to, to the pandemic. What do you all pride yourselves? What do you think that you all are doing differently? Well, Ben, pr prior to the pandemic, actually, I first wanted to mention um, a big thank you to you for, uh, it was back early part of the year, you brought Bojangles to one of our testing sites on, on the east side, of, east side of town. That went over so well and it was so perfectly timed because the staff was dragging that day. Oh. And I just remember hearing so many positive things. So anyways, oh, I just wanted to make mention of that first. Please, uh, only a, a small uh, you know, token of our appreciation. So I, I'm glad they appreciate it. But, but what makes you all different? Well, so anyways, I, uh, you know, we started uh, StarMed a few years before the pandemic. Um, I, uh, you know, as a practicing chiropractor, I, I, you know, was always trying to make referrals and, and a lot of our clinics were located in areas of town where there wasn't a lot of medical practices, uh, you know, a lot of uninsured, a lot of Medicaid. So I said, you know, we're going to we're going to go ahead and open up a clinic here and try to figure out how to how to serve the population and, you know, make ends meet. And uh, and, and we did it. And, uh, you know, it was it was pretty difficult. We were learning what we didn't we didn't know, bringing on a great we had a, a, a couple of medical directors that came through some excellent uh, physicians helped us get get the th get the clinical side of things going and we provided the management services and I'll and I'll say uh, you know prior to COVID it was just a matter of fulfilling our mission just going into you know the underserved areas and making sure that where we can bring in some healthcare equity and just bring in you know <laughs> five-star care and a clean modern facility um, you know the the building over on Tuckasegee on the west side. I don't know if you've ever been into it, but you go and it's beautiful. Um, it's it's tiled, it's it's well lit, it's clean, technology is everywhere. So that was really our, our intention and our mission, you know, way back before the pandemic started. And uh, 
what what we probably had was that made us difference the huge difference was we had the infrastructure we had a really solid uh management team our, our coo tracy hummel uh and you know just i could go down the line of just people that had true compassion and care in their hearts to do the right thing and uh, i think that was i think that was our one of the one of the main things that allowed us to pivot and and look for ways when when the pandemic hit to be relevant and helpful to the community uh it strikes me there also must be a a culture um th that makes uh Starman a little different only because we highlighted before we came to you we highlighted um, one of the cases from this past week of where uh, a father came with his baby. Evidently, the baby had a soy al allergy, couldn't use um, the formula you had. And a worker actually drove to this dad's uh, home because at this point, the dad was low on gas, drove to the dad's home, brought him formula. Um, so so there's, there's a cultural thing, too, evidently, that's happening there. It's, it, it permeates through the whole organization. And I, I can't take credit for... I'll tell you, it's uh, there's some great individuals. Everybody from the, the leadership team and the management office to the clinical support staff. To, it's uh, you know that that individual that did that wasn't looking for any credit. wasn't looking to say, hey, look what I just did to help this individual. This happens all the time at, at our organization, and it's it's truly it's humbling. Um, when I find out about it, a lot of times I don't even get to find out about these little acts that are going on with, within our staff across, you know, not just here in Mecklenburg County, but we're, we're in a few other counties as well. I, I, it's a, uh, but it, it does, it, it is, it is, it's within our core values. It is within our mission. And I, and I, and I do think like ever, all the meetings that occur and, you know, we're always looking for ways to see where we can add value or where there's a, uh, where there's a challenge in the community and said, you know, how, how can we help solve this? I mean, the baby formula was just, it was a great example of how a meeting last Thursday just ballooned into something that was, you know, I, it was just beautiful and people were very appreciative. But yeah, I, I, we see a lot of that in our organization. And it, I just do, I do think it's, uh, it's, it's the culture that brought it, brought it that way. Um, because we talked about that, but also uh, you all were out front, really how you made your name was, I referenced it earlier, was during the pandemic and, and um, getting, you know, testing out there to, to the masses as well as vaccinations um, and shots and boosters and, and all that. Um, where, where does this thing stand now? I know we're seeing, uh, you know, sort of a, a uptick in cases of COVID. Uh, what are you all seeing in your clinics? So we've uh, we've seen an increase in testing naturally over the last few weeks. The uh, it's I want to say it's gone up back to about 50 percent. So it's significant. Um, not, nothing like the Delta variant or when Omicron came through, but it's uh, and I think a lot of people still have home tests or, you know, those are a little bit more available. So our, our testing lines aren't, uh, you know, they're, they're not that long and, and people get through them relatively quickly when you want to get a test here uh, with the, whether it's an antigen test or a PCR test. Um, but what we, we've actually seen more of is the monoclonal antibody treatments that we were doing. We went from doing like five a day a couple of weeks ago and now we're doing 50 a day. Um, so. It, that, that's a little bit more of a t uh, tell that, that that the cases are on the on the rise more than we realize just because our even though our testing numbers haven't gone up people are, are seeking out treatment whether it's the, the covid pill or, or the monoclonal antibodies uh you all have pro proven as you said earlier you have the infrastructure so you can respond to a pandemic or you can respond to uh infant uh sort of formula shortage so logical question here what is next for StarMed? So a few things where, you know, obviously we, we recognize that the organization has a lot of, uh, has the ability to move, you know, we're, we're large enough, but not too small to be able to move quickly. And 
we like to solve problems um, and our heart is in the right place. I think when you can when you can combine an entrepreneurial mindset with a caring heart, it's a, it's it's truly a recipe for you know good good things. You know we're we're looking for people you know to serve people that might be going through a hard time in life or you know don't have access. And so when I tell you the the, the main objective right now is just to plug ourselves in wherever it makes sense. Our, our new clinic, newest clinic that's going down on South Boulevard, down off Arrowwood Road and, and South Boulevard in the, in the Star Mount neighborhood. That clinic is going to be uh, it's going to be coupled and help. Uh, we formed our nonprofit. It's, uh, it's called the, the Blessing Foundation, which is actually named after my mother's maiden name. That's that sounds like a religious organization, but um, it's uh, it's going to be supported by uh, by the Blessing Foundation, and, and it's really it's going to be there for you know the, the population that may not have insurance or not, may not have access to quality healthcare, and and, uh, and 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 so that's just one example. Um, we're we're doing other things, you know. We're partnering with you know organizations that are doing behavioral health and 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 seeing where we can plug ourselves in. Um, you know, if uh, like I said, I could go down a list, but we uh, we we have a lot of things on the cooker. We have a lot of we have a great infrastructure. We onboarded about five thousand people over the last two and a half years. Obviously, not everybody's still with us, but during that time period, we had, we 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 recognize some amazing talent and individuals. Everybody from people that are in the, in the leadership team at the organization to people that are in the clinical support staff. So. We have an amazing roster to pull on, and we're 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 looking for what's next and what makes sense. But um, and and we we like I said, we have a lot of things going on right now. Yeah, and you have a, a killer social media team as well. A, a well known <laughs> yeah. a well known presence on, on Twitter that I think a, a lot of Charlotte uh, enjoys. And listen, for folks in case folks at home are wondering, th 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 this was not an advertisement. You all did not reach out. You are not paying for this in any way. Uh, we genuinely were interested in sort of what you all are doing because we do think it's sort of different than what's happening in other places. Um, and, and we were happy that we could bring your crew uh, some breakfast back a, a couple of months ago at the height of the pan pandemic. And, uh, that was glad, awesome. Glad yeah. they appreciate it. All right, listen, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it so much. No, th th thank you, Ben. Have a great day. All right, take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. As the war in Ukraine continues, folks here in the Queen City are lending a hand. WCNC Charlotte's Austin Walker has their stories. This is what Charlottean Joe Morales saw while in Ukraine. They're getting hit every day. It's a different target, different city. Volunteering his time through Backroads Foundation. Almost 90% of the images that you're looking at are actually civilian buildings. Boots on the ground, hand delivering life-saving resources to those who've lost everything. Burn pads, uh, gauze, tourniquets, um, IV bags. Uh, syringes. In addition to supplies, Morales spent time working in the orphanage. We try to provide that safe haven and the safe transportation of children from one orphanage to another orphanage that's out of danger zones. Connecting foster families with hundreds of children. Today we're going to do some char-grilled wings. But Morales isn't the only Queen City native on a mission. So I'm going to be cooking, essentially making meals for uh, refugees, helping out any way that they need me to. Robert Ernie Alder, smokemaster at Ernie's Smokehouse, is heading overseas at the beginning of June. Alder says his ancestors are from Eastern Europe, and when war broke out, he was moved to contribute in some way. Okay, so I could just simply write a check to a relief organization, let somebody else do, do the work, and I thought, okay, maybe this is my opportunity to do some of the heavy, heavy lifting myself. Through the organization World Central Kitchen, he's using his culinary talents to make a difference on an international scale. 
And as one person comes back with a handful of stories. I can tell you I met the funniest kid I've ever met. Another is prepping to embark on his journey. Many times they have nothing because whatever they have has been bombed. Austin Walker reporting for us there. For, for those sitting at home wondering how you can help out, you don't have to get on a plane. There's a QR code there on your screen. Grab your phone, scan that, and it'll take you to an article right there on WCNC.com. You can donate to Chef Ernie's GoFundMe. You can also donate back to the uh, donate to Back Roads Foundation. All sorts of ways you can help out, folks. More Flashpoint after this. All right, folks, come interact with me on social media. Let us know if there's something you want us to cover here on Flashpoint. The cool thing is we get to, like, you know, chat in longer form here and have longer interviews than we do during, the, you know, the regular newscasts. And remember, always, you can listen to our podcast. Find it wherever you get yours. We do not have the Flashpoint for the next two weeks, so I'll catch you every morning on Wake Up Charlotte starting at 4.30 a.m. Have a great week.